This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. It's the philosophical field of knowledge. How do we know what we know? Have you ever stopped to think about that? How do you know what you know? That could give you a headache quickly. So epistemology is all about how we know what we know. And even when we ask that question, how do I know what I know? That's an action, isn't it? You're you're deliberately taking knowledge and using it in action to ask a question. How do we know what we know? The thing is, is we always do stuff with what we know, right? We always do stuff with what we know. Whether we don't do what we're supposed to do, whether we do what we're supposed to do, or whether we just are indifferent, even that is an action. And so when we think about this How do we know what we know? Keep that in the forefront of your mind this morning because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Knowledge. And not just knowledge like you can ring in on Jeopardy and win some sort of silly prize. This is true knowledge, the knowledge of the living God. Would you open your Bibles if you're willing and able as we come to the text this morning. Kids, I'm sorry, I always forget this. Kids, your words to listen to this morning are what? Somebody read them because I forgot. Know and love. See? No. Epistemology. He's a big kid. Thank you, Rob. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we'll make sure he gets a sticker. First John chapter 2. Today we'll be in verses 3 through 6. First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. The Word of God says this. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have spoken, that you are there and you are not silent. Would you prepare our hearts? Would you clear away the briars and the brambles and give us fertile soil to receive your implanted word? Would you call us to repentance, every single one of us, whether that's for the first time or for the thousandth time? Would you be gracious to us and would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who breathed out the very scriptures we seek to examine this morning and build our lives upon? We pray that it would exalt Christ and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we come to verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2 this morning, notice something. Notice we have a continuation of the thought from the previous verse indicated by this little clause of, and by this we know we have come to know him. There's a lot of knowing going on already in the first little bit, isn't there? And by this we have come to know that we know him. So, I know sometimes weeks can be crazy. Trust me, mine has been. And I know some of you have talked to me. It's been a crazy week. 
you sometimes forget the sermon. I know it's not all of you, right? You forget the sermon from last week. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Who is the him? And by this we have come to know that we know him. Who's the him? Easy. The word and in this verse, in verse 3, acts as a plus sign, our big giant plus sign, adding on from verse 2, which was all about who? Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate, advocate and payment for our sins. So verse 3 is carrying on the idea of knowing that Jesus, knowing that Jesus. Essentially, verse 3 and the rest of this section this morning is saying, all right, you know the great truth of forgiveness through Christ. You know this? Everything we talked about last week? Great. Then live it out. Do something with it. Do something with it. Notice in verse 3, we have a major focus on what? Knowledge. Oh, okay. So now the introduction makes sense with epistemology, doesn't it? We have a focus on knowledge. And knowledge leading to what? Relationship. Remember, this is fellowship language again. To know someone in a positive manner means, or even negative in a way, but certainly in a positive manner, means you, you have some sort of fellowship with them. Knowledge and relationship. Yet, verse 3 is not merely a bridge back into verse 2 of 1 John 2. We, we always have to remember our context. Context is key for everything. Remember, John is writing this general little letter that's circular, going to a bunch of different churches to combat false teaching that was cropping up in the early church, and not just in one place like Ephesus or Colossae, but all over the place. And not only John in 1 John, but also the rest of the New Testament really deals with sorting out these false teachings that kept cropping up like little snakes from the enemy, right? and they're stamping them out. You can read about those in in the letters of Paul or Peter or Jude or John, like we're doing. Back in chapter 1, remember we have some of these outlandish claims that John is fighting back against. He's, he's engaging in what we would call polemics, meaning he's, he's defending. He's saying, no, that's wrong. And that we uh, need to combat these false teachings from chapter 1 in ourselves. Let's just kind of recap these. Right? You can simply make some sort of profession of faith to be in Christ and know God and continue living with no change. That was in chapter 1. Remember, claiming to be light, but remaining in darkness. Right? Humanity is innocent. There is no such thing as sin, whether that's past, present, future, whatever those false teachers were, were laying down. There is nothing to really be forgiven of because there's no sin. There's nothing bad in you or in us. Knowledge gives us truth, and there's nothing really bad. So that means you don't need to be forgiven of anything, right? And that means there needs to be no sacrifice. After you have come to the knowledge of God, they claimed you can just do whatever you want. We've got this, this tapestry of false teaching being interwoven kind of by the way that John responds to things in 1 John, and we're starting to see how they all thread together. Notice how it is in this vicious cycle of, of honestly, violence against the Lord and against ourselves that there is a denial of sin. John is already in one chapter, he's already dealt with the denial of sin over and over again. Why is that? 
If you begin to deny sin or downplay sin or even approve of it, then you actively bring Isaiah 5, chapter 20 to light in your own life, calling light darkness and darkness light, calling sweet bitter and bitter sweet. Furthermore, to deny sin, to approve of it even, to give it some sort of sanction or redefine it is a cheap abomination because what this does is it sets you upon God's throne who is sinless, who has nothing to be forgiven of. It sets you on his throne, his rightful throne, and it makes you the authority to define things. This is you being God. This is you or whoever it is eating of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil after the serpent says to ye shall be as gods. This is that in your life or whoever we're talking about. It's, it's blasphemy. We don't stop to think about that, do we? When a culture redefines sin, let's say they redefine not even sin, they try to redefine an institution like, I don't know, marriage. Right? That's not our job because God is the one that defines the marriage. For us to try to do that as a culture means we are playing God. We are trying to sit on his throne, and he will not be mocked. See, this is the type of thought John is fighting against in this letter. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 3 of chapter 2 contains more insight into this false teaching that's kind of behind the letter, right? Knowing, knowing, knowledge. This is where we get the word Gnostic, like prognostication or diagnostic. It's about knowledge. And while the heresy of Gnosticism did not begin to formally flourish until about a hundred years after John's letter here, we kind of see the roots of it all over the New Testament. In short, Gnosticism, which is a false teaching, it has many forms, but it always comes back to this some sort of like secret knowledge of God that only the elites have and that they can pass on to you. It's it's basically like a secret society, like Illuminati, right? Just like that. We get that. That's still prevalent in our own culture. So in verse 3, John is kind of jabbing back. He's given a right hook back at this claim of knowledge of gnosis. He's saying, you claim to know God? You claim to know God? Okay, and again, knowing someone involves what? Fellowship, intimacy, walking with them. All these previous descriptors right here, they're all synonyms. So you claim to know God? I'll let you ponder on that. Well, this is how you know. This is how you know. What John is calling his initial audience to and us this morning. So we have our first question of our self-examination this morning in 1 John chapter 2. Do you claim to know God? Claim to know Him. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. Do you claim to have fellowship with him? Zach, come on, yes, we've already examined this question before. I understand that, but remember when Joseph, if you've been doing your Bible reading plan <clears throat> this past week and last week, when Joseph got brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and what did he say? The fact that the dreams are doubled means it's fixed. When God repeats himself, he's not wasting his breath. He wants us to understand things or how they are, that he is God and we need to listen. 
Yes, we have already examined this question, but John gives it to us again in a different way. He gives it in a different uh, description for us. It's, it's restated. It's more vivid. It's lucid. He drops the light and dark metaphor, and he calls us to clarity, ironically. If you claim to know the Christ of God, who is God, you will keep his commandments. This is how you know if you know God. Do you know God? I don't know. How do I know? Okay, I'll tell you. If you claim to know God, you keep his commandments. The verb keep here in the original language, tereo, means to guard and keep watch over for regular use. Right? To guard, like you're kind of hovering over it, you're watching over it to be able to use it in the future at any time to make sure nothing happens to it. To keep the commandments of Christ is not drudgery of like this cold list of do's and don'ts, like it's a recipe. Three eggs, milk, whatever. But no, 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 no. To keep the commands of Christ with a scowl, that's the opposite of what it calls us to. That's even the word here, to keep the commands of Christ. It doesn't call us to that. It's like this, keeping the commands of Christ, the commandments of Christ, it's like joyfully watching over a large sum of money that's been entrusted to you, never depletes. Do you need to use some of it? Do you need a new car? Do you need a, this isn't prosperity gospel. I'm using an example. Do you need a new car or whatever? Take it because it's never going to deplete. This is what we are called to do with the commandments of Christ. And it's right here. It's right here that the modern evangelical church loses its minds if you know anything about where I'm going. You can't teach that. That's legalism. Jesus is our righteousness. We're free in Him. For Christ's sake, we're free and free indeed. We love Him because He loved us first, and there's nothing we need to do other than know that we're sinners and ask Him to forgive us and live knowing that. You can't teach people to obey rules. Oh. I see. So you mean you want people to make a simple profession of faith, they know God, and then keep coming back to where you meet and and then not really change. That kind of sounds just like the false teaching that's going on in 1 John, isn't it? Except the only real difference is at least the modern church kind of kind of has an idea of what sin is. You can't teach that. See, the, the cries of keeping the commandments of God as being legalism simply display that many in the modern church only care about what the emotions we talked about last week and ironically have no knowledge of God and His revealed character and will unto us. Let, let me just clarify what legalism is. Maybe you're like, I don't really know what that is. I kind of think I do. But legalism in many different contexts, kind of just really means this when you boil it down. If you're accused of being a legalist, it means that you teach people that they must obey God's law and that this is what saves them, and if you don't keep God's law, God will punish you. You're a legalist. You're teaching people to follow a bunch of rules, and that'll save them. Here's the deal. Some of that is actually true, except the middle part. 
It's mostly correct because Christ himself taught this to his disciples, of which John was. The difference is we do not keep God's commandments to gain salvation. That's the difference. We do not keep God's commandments to gain salvation. We keep God's commandments because we are saved. We have been awakened to this. We don't keep God's commandments to know him. We keep his commandments to prove that we already do. This is the difference. Right? My oldest daughter, Nova, right? if she doesn't pick up, Nova, you don't pick up your toys when I ask you so that I do love you, right? You pick up your toys when I ask you because you do love me. and We have fellowship and relationship together, right? Are you asleep? This right here, we don't, we don't follow the commands of God so that he will look on us in favor. And I guess I'll save that when he's doing what I say. No, we do it because we already are. And this is exactly what verses 4 and 5 are going to go on to teach this morning. Verse 4 says this, Whoever says, I know him. All right, your translation may have little quotes on it. I know him. So this is a, a direct claim that the false teachers are making, kind of like one of their statements. I know him, right? I know him, but whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments, that one, John's very emphatic, that one is a liar and the truth is not in him. I find it funny that in the original language it, it actually says that one. John's not even wanting to use the name of these people because that's how low he thinks of them. Oh, that one. Yeah, no, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So, Here's our next question that naturally arises out of the text. Do you keep the commandments of God? Do you joyfully watch over right, and live out God's good deposit to you in His Word? Do you do that? Now you may be asking, what are the commandments that you're talking about? Is there a certain list of things? And this is a good question of clarification so you know how to answer on your self-examination. The commandments, Christ said, can be distilled down to love of God and love of neighbor, right? Upon these two, the entire law and the prophets hinge, which means, i.e., the entire teaching of the Old Testament. Oh, man, that sounds like Jesus is teaching legalism, doesn't it? No. Somebody get him into Andy Stanley's church so he can be taught and educated correctly. You've got to unhitch all that stuff, Jesus. Right? In short, what Jesus is saying here, and you can look at this in Luke 24, Jesus says the entire Old Testament, law, prophets, writings, that's the Psalms like we read this morning, they're all about Him. They're all pointing to Him. They find their completion in Him. And in John 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14, Jesus says we are to listen to His commandments or words, and guess what? Follow them. John's not making that up. He's just parroting what he's heard Jesus say himself. Right? If if the whole Old Testament is about Jesus pointing to him, the Word made flesh, then that means the whole Bible contains the whole of his commands, his Word. It is the commandments of God, you see, that are for his people, for us, the world, because it shows us what it means to be truly human 
in the image of God as Christ is the perfect image of God, the true Adam, restored unto fellowship with the Godhead. This is why it is so important to know that Christ is fully God and fully man at the same time because he's smacking us back together to the garden. Do you see this fellowship here? The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, they're kind of like this case study concerning the love of God and love for neighbor and how these two concepts are intertwined that you can't undo them. Right? The first four commandments have to do with correct attitude, love, devotion, worship of God, with the last half of it having to do with correct attitude and love for who? Neighbor. To falter in one of these areas actually means that you break all of them because they're all intertwined. Aha. Gotcha. Gotcha. You're teaching people to follow a bunch of rules, aren't you? I'm not teaching anybody to follow a bunch of rules. God is. Plain in the text. We want to make people pastors that say, hey, listen, you don't do that or you should do that because the Bible says so. You're a legalist. I'm free. No, you're not. You are a slave of Christ. He is your master. Masters have rules. We need to know this, that God Almighty teaches us we are to joyfully watch over the deposit He's given us, His Word, so that we know how to live. If we are His creation, then He dictates how we live. And guess what? We are, and His, his commandments are not burdensome. We know this. You see, we... The naysayers always want to scare you to think that if you follow God's commands contained in His Word, this Word, then you'll turn into some caricature of a Puritan who's sad all the time and looking to, you know, rain on every parade. Can't wear that. Don't clap. Don't say amen. Well, follow the rules. No running, right? It's like a grandpa who's just, he's wore out. Kids, shut up. Be quiet. Go to your room. Follow the rules. Here's the list. No, 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 no. You see, the Bible says contrary. Psalm 119, the biggest chapter of the entire Bible, is all about what? How wondrous God's commands are, His law, His word. It's all about how amazing it is, how joyful it is to know who God is, what He has done, and what He expects of us, so that we don't have to live in fear of wondering if we've, messed up or if we've made it. He's spoken to us and we'll be able to know with confidence. Amen? The law, God's commands, His word, however you want to phrase it, catch this, is grace. There's not this divide between the law is bad, Jesus is grace, bad, good. That's a misunderstanding of Christ and everything the New Testament teaches. God's commandments are gracious to us. Why? Because He reveals to us who He is, who we are, and how we are restored to fellowship with Him. We are not left in the dark. Light. That's why constantly the Bible says, Your word is what a lamp unto my path. So if we say, I know Him, but we do not keep His commandments, We are liars, and the truth is not in us. The truth, the Word of God, 
the light of God, salvation and fellowship, it is not there if we desire not to follow the instruction of God in his word, no matter how sincere we be in saying that we know him. Does this mean that we have to keep all the Old Testament laws? Of course not. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. How you go about sorting that out. How do you use those principles that are in the Old Testament, what the Westminster calls the general equity of the law? How do you use those? Because they're good. God is not evil and bad. He only gives good and perfect gifts, and he's given us his word. Amen? Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 22.8. Here's a practical example. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, a fence, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. How many of you have a roof or, or, or a fence around your roof? Anybody? All right. The wrath of God's upon you all. Go home today. Rob, you know how to build stuff. Rob will help everybody put a roof, uh, a fence around the roof tonight so they can be under you know, grace. I don't have a fence around my roof. I guess something's wrong there, right? Or we can realize that the homes of the ancient Near East have flat roofs where people would go up in the evening to cool off. Think of like a deck on the back of a two-story house. If you have a deck upon the back of your house, have you ever been to someone that has a deck on the back of their house? Is there a railing around it? Why do we have railing there so it looks nice? No, so no one falls off. Why? Oh, see the general equity of the text, the principle behind the law here? Because the principle is concerned with what? Preserving human life, made in the image of God, keeping people safe, causing someone not to die. It's love for neighbor, which is love for God. The whole Old Testament finds its maturity in Jesus, all for us. So we delightfully, with joy, observe God's commands. John further clarifies what all this means. If we keep his word, pause. Notice that John is using commandments and word interchangeably. Again, pointing to the fact that we aren't talking about a defined set of rules, but about a revelation, the entire Bible, to which we are to read and pray for wisdom on how to apply and do what it says with discernment, even those areas that are hard. Whoever keeps his word, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Notice how this all links up with verse 4, forming this kind of parallel structure right here, right? Not keeping God's commandments, no truth in that person. Keeping God's commandments, actual truth in that person. We have this parallel structure to show us and juxtapose what's going on. Notice what truth is likened to. Notice what truth is likened to. The love of God. The love of God. It's this concept of love that John is so well known for, known kind of as the apostle of love. But notice how John goes on to describe what he means. The truth of God contained in knowing his word, his revelation, and delighting to obey it, to live by it, because he has saved you, Christ the Advocate. Right? That is described as the love of God. See, this isn't a new concept, as John will go on to say later himself in this little letter. However, if, if we keep thinking about the circumstances behind the letter, there may be some sort of polemic right here that you had false teachers 
propagating this perverse idea of what the love of God is all about. I'm so thankful at how outdated this book is because we don't have to deal with that anymore, do we? With people saying, this is what the love of God really is all about. I'm thankful that we're all on the same page. Right? Like, the love of God is not an emotion, and the love of God is not physical perversion that leads to sinful gleeness. The love of God is not licentiousness. The love of God has nothing to do with two sinners of the same sex thinking they like one another. Glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm glad this is so outdated. God's word is timeless and timely. Look at what John says. The love of God is knowing God in a joyful way that seeks to keep his word. Wants to. I can't wait to do it. As John Stott puts it, commentator, the love of God is loyalty to God in his revealed word, which tells us how to be loyal to him. Loyalty unto God does not cause you to be in fellowship with God. Loyalty to God means you already are in fellowship with him. None of this is the apostles' formulation. None of this is John's, you know what, I've come up with this idea. Let me give you my dissertation about it. This is the very teaching of Christ. John 14, 23, Jesus' own words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's everything we're talking about this morning. John is just parroting what he's heard his master say. And so, dear listener, this morning I ask you the next question. Do you love God? Do you desire and long to know His Word, the Scriptures, and live your life in accordance with them? All of them. All of them. You have to. You have to. John tells us at the end of 2.5 that if this is you, if you say, yes, I love God, I want to keep his commandments, then the true love of God is perfected in you. It is perfected in you. This right here is the will of God for your life, dear believer. Everybody wants to take some sort of test on the internet to figure out what God's will is for their life when it's right here that you would love him, follow his commandments, and you would be perfected. The love of God perfected in your life. That's his will for you. Uh Uh-oh, guess you can give Joel Osteen all of his books back for him to burn. This is God's will for your life. This, this word perfected here in the Greek is where we get the word telos, which means completion or maturity or ripe. We have heard, we, we have a hard time in the reformed camp of the church talking about perfection because we want to always overqualify ourselves to death about, oh, we're not perfect. Oh, no, we're not perfect. Yes, we know that we're not perfect, but we have to face the text that that's where we're headed. We will never be perfect in this life. He's calling us to perfection in himself as the son is perfect. If you have the type of love for God in which you joyfully desire to know him in truth through his word and thereby live out what his word says, in you is the love of God mature and maturing you. Word perfected is what is known as being in the passive voice. The passive voice which means the subject of the verb 
is not the one performing the action, but is having that action performed upon them. And this, I can get nerdy with you right here. This is what I love about the original language, right? The subject of this starts back in verse 5. The subject is the whoever. Who's the whoever? Anyone, say me. Really, say me. I'm a whoever. Whoever keeps God's word, right? Why is this important that perfected is passive and not in what is known as the active? If, if perfected were active, that means that the whoever would be the one causing God to love him by keeping his commandments. The whoever would be making himself perfected by following a bunch of rules. I love God, so he loves me back. But the passive, passive, it is the love of God that is perfecting the whoever from outside of himself. See this? It is clear as possible. The love of God in a believer's life that perfects them, that restores them to fellowship with God all their life doesn't come from them. It comes from God. See this? God is the one who is pursuing his people. God is the one who is giving us the ability to love him as he has loved us. God is calling us into this perfect love for this perfect love is ripe and mature and complete, not because of us, not because of anything we do, but because he who loves us and is perfecting us is perfect and mature and unadulterated and complete, perfect love. What a glorious God we serve. What a glorious gospel proclamation in just a single word. We don't have to have a statement this long. It's a single word that shows us what type of God we serve, what God has called us to do. The scriptures are the true loving act upon our ears and our hearts, our intellects and our bodies to draw us into closer relationship and fellowship with God. This right here, why we have to go to the scriptures. They aren't dry and stale. They are the love of God upon paper that we may be perfected. A glorious love letter, but not a love letter like, you know, God is a 15-year-old hormone-enraged heartthrob. Like, oh gosh, I've got to have you with a boombox outside your door. No, absolutely not. A love letter of God's love for his people and his love to bring them back unto himself when they don't deserve it and many times, all the time, don't even want it. Hiding naked in the bushes. A letter of loyalty and sacrifice, all initiated by God. Oh, that we would desire, that we would desire to be in his word so that we would be in him. We would be in Christ. It's this thought that John moves on to at the end of verse 5, going in verse 6. It's the last half of it. Another question for us. How do I know I had this loving fellowship with God? How do I know that I'm in him? You're talking about knowing him, loving him, being in him. How do I know? Answer, you desire. You desire to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, false teachers, you say, I know him, but do you keep his word? Here's the, the real knowledge for you. Say you do and you don't keep his word. You don't know him. 
Truly knowing him means you keep his word and walk as he walked. Verse 6 acts as a giant sentence kind of synonym as if to make sure the point is driven home. If you remember in the first sermon in the series, I talked about how to walk, to walk in the light, to walk is a biblical description of, of how one lives their entire life. Here John is saying we know God and have the love of God if we walk in the same way in which he walked and lived. John says this is how we know we are in him. We walk like him. Who's the him again? Don't forget, Jesus Christ himself, our perfect advocate and sacrifice. Jesus did not come and destroy the word of God, but was the, God, was the word made flesh, God in the flesh, who came to be the completion, the perfect representation of it. Jesus, our advocate and sacrifice, loyal unto God and loyal unto man, simultaneously who calls us to walk as he walked. Yes. No one's excited about that? Are we that numb? how we are called to live. We have no joy anymore. You have been redeemed, beloved. God and man in Christ, that you may have fellowship. Uh, one commentator says this, the test of our religious experience is whether it produces a reflection of the life of Jesus in our daily life. If it fails the elementary test, it's false. You ponder the word of God and your Savior each day. How do we know about the life of Jesus? His word, specifically four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. These biographical sketches show us the promises of God finding their ripe, mature yes in Jesus, and we see examples how he handles specific situations. And yet another call to live and love the word of God. Another call to abide in the scriptures. We are called to abide and this is the word that John uses right here in verse 6, abide. It's, it's probably honestly one of John's favorite words. He uses it over 20 times in 1 John, and the majority of its usage in the New Testament is in the Johannine, the, the, the writings of John. This word abide, meno in the Greek, is this, to continue in an active state expecting something in the future. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It's to walk as he walked. What does it mean to abide, to be in, to remain in while expecting? It means to, we desire to live out the scriptures for this in the scriptures, living them out, is where the love of God and love of neighbor collide. This is where that fellowship happens. This is where we see Christ's advocating work coming together. John 15.10, the words of Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus, your advocate, dear beloved, your sacrifice, your example, abides, remains in perfect, confident, joyful love with the Father. Jesus is perfect fellowship with the Father as the whole Godhead, as the God-man. If you walk as Christ walked and live in Him, abiding in Him, then do you understand what all this actually means? This means you are in perfect fellowship with God, just as God is in perfect fellowship with himself, who is sinless. You, with all your shortcomings and sin, you abide in Christ by walking out his word. You are advocating when you do this for God the Son, by God the Son, to have fellowship. Very God of very God. You are participating in the fellowship that God has within himself. Do you see this? 
You're not left out like, yeah, we'll bring you into some different fellowship. You're in Christ, who is God of God, and he has fellowship within himself. It's mind-boggling, like epistemology. How do you know what you know? You are redeemed and brought back into right restoration, right fellowship with God in Christ. To close, I simply want to rehash out our questions for you to apply to your life. You claim to know God. You keep the commandments of God. You joyfully watch over and live out God's good deposit to you in his word. Do you love God? Do you desire and long to know his word, the scriptures, and live your life in accordance with them? All of them. How do you know you have fellowship with God? How do you know you are in fellowship with him? Because you abide in his commandments. I want to give you this thought by commentators Brown and Aiken to sum up the teaching of 1 John so perfect, 1 John 2 so perfectly as I close. Since keeping God's commandments or words certainly involves living out the commandment to love one another, the love of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ reaches its perfection when the same love is shown to one another and to the God who abides in the Christian. God's love achieves its purpose when we keep the word. All my venting, all my yelling this morning, and all my preaching is summed up in that. God's love achieves its purpose when we keep word. Listener, is that you this morning? Maybe you say, yes, yes, I desire to keep his word. I love him. I love his word, but I don't keep his word as I ought to. I struggle sometimes. Then to you, I say this. Do I say this? Remember your advocate. Remember that you are not called to keep his word perfectly, but to desire to do so and, and so have his love perfect you. Confess your sin. Know he is faithful and just to forgive you. And pray that Christ as your great advocate through the second advocate of the Holy Spirit would help you to walk as he walked. Loving God and loving neighbor more and more as he perfects you. And you will be perfected, not in this life, but when you stand before him in glory. If you say, I thought I knew God. I don't really care much for his word. I don't really care. Then dear listener, I tell you, you are in the most dangerous place of all. Hear the word and the warning of Psalm 95. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Confess and repent of your sins. Begin reading the scriptures, applying them to your life. Live like a redeemed and forgiven person, for if you confess and repent, you are. Scriptures say that you are. Desire fellowship with God and to see his love perfected in you. Surround yourself with the fellowship of other Christians like this right here who can help you. Because this fellowship right here, a small scale model of the fellowship that God has within himself. See the doctrine of the gospel, as Calvin said, as a lively mirror in which we contemplate the image of God in Christ revealed in his word and are transformed into the same. That's our call. If this be you today, this is the first time you've ever had this dawn on you. Do not leave here without talking to me or Garrett or somebody. May you know God, dear listener. Love him and abide in his word as he abides in you, perfecting you with his perfect love unto himself. May his kingdom come and will be done in your life. Love him, know him, abide in him. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray.